better. Good morning. My name is Anar, and I have the pleasure of reading the scripture for today. Uh, it's going to be coming from Mark chapter 12, verses 28 to 44. I do want to kind of uh, warn you, this is 20 scriptures. So if you've, uh, you fall asleep reading the Bible, please try your hardest to at least hear me through this. And then the, the speaker with his awesome word from the Lord. It reads as such again, Mark 12, 28 to 20, uh, 44. And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with another, and seeing that he answered them well, asked him, uh, which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus answered, the most important is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And the scribe said to him, you're right, teacher. You truly said that he is one and there is no other beside him. And to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding and with all the strength and to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. And as Jesus taught in the temple, he said, How can the scribes say that this Christ is the son of David? David himself in the Holy Spirit declared, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. David himself calls himself Lord. So how is he his son? And the great throng heard him gladly. And in his teachings, he said, Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and like greetings in the marketplaces and have the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at feasts, who devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. They will receive the greater condemnation. And he sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums and a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins which make a penny. And he called his disciples to him and said to them, Truly, I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box, for they are all contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had and all she had to live on. This is the word of the Lord. It's a joy to be with you this morning. Let's open up in a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for this time in your word. We confess, God, that sometimes our desire to read your word is lacking. Sometimes our desire for worship is lacking. Sometimes our desire for you is lacking. But you are the God of the abundant. You are the God who lavishes your love upon us even when we don't feel it. And we worship you, Lord, because of your great love for us. And so no matter where we are in our journey with you, we ask God humbly that you would come and meet us where we are, that you would speak into our lives a word of truth that we need to hear. Father, transform my heart as the word transforms me. And I pray that the same would happen in my dear brothers and sisters here in this room, that as they hear your word preached, they might leave this place transformed because you spoke to them. That the word of God transformed their hearts 
that you would come in, into our hearts and that you would change our, our focus, that you would change our, the way that we look at the Word of God, that you would change the way that we look at you, that you would change the way that we look at each other so that, God, you would pierce our hearts to see how great you are and how you have a great plan for each and every one of us. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. May you receive all the glory, honor, and praise. In Jesus' name, amen. How much do you love God? Excuse me? Yes, I asked the question, how much do you love God? Matt, this is New England. How can you ask a personal question about my spiritual life? I know where I am. I've lived here twice. This is the second time. But the question is not a regional question. It's a question that all of us, uh, all of us must ask ourselves the ultimate question of life, which is, how much do you love God? How much do I love God? The scribes, the teachers of the law, tried to trick Jesus. They wanted to know what he thought was the most important question in life. And as you have just heard the passage read by N.R., Let's look through this passage and see what God has to say about loving Him and what that means for us in our lives as we try to make sense of this mess called life, the tragedies, the struggle, the the sin, the illnesses, the chaos, the problems, the burdens that we all bear. And each day, I don't know about you, but for me as I uh, watch the news, I actually like to turn off the news. Because it's not good news or breaking news, it's just bad news. But we have here in this passage, good news. Good news about what life is really about. And as Jesus boils down all the chaos in our lives, he breaks it down here in this passage for us. And I hope that God would speak into our lives a, a refreshing reminder of what this life is truly about. Let's look at verse 28 as we open up this passage together. It's a very familiar text. You've, you've probably heard it in Sunday school, and you've probably read it many times in your adult life. And in verse 28, as one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another, they were disputing probably which, which commandment was the greatest, which duty, which responsibility was most important for these religious leaders. And so they try to stump Jesus, and they ask him, which commandment is the more, most important of all? In rabbinic tradition, in uh, the Jewish tradition, there were 613 different commandments that they had to obey. 248 were stated in the positive. These are the things that we ought to do for God. 365 were negative commandments, things that we were re- supposed to not do. You should not do this. You should not steal. And we have a summary, thankfully, of the 613 commandments. We have them boiled down into the Ten Commandments. And I wonder how many of us can remember and recite the Ten Commandments. Well, these 
scribes and religious leaders had to memorize and obey and sort through and daily practice all 613 commandments. I don't know about you, but I can't remember hardly the Ten Commandments. I don't know about 613. But that's what their tradition was all about. And here we see Jesus asks the question, and he answers. The most important is this. Hear, O Israel, from Deuteronomy. The Lord your God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. You probably heard that VBS song if you grew up in church. Love the Lord your God, right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and love all mankind as you would love yourself and love. And, and it keeps, keeps going, right? And, 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 it, and the, the chorus goes, we've got Christian lives to live. We've got Jesus' love to give. We've got nothing to hide because in him we abide love. I hate singing, but that's part of Christ, the Christian life. That's the Christian life. You ask, what is this life about? How am I supposed to make sense of life, Matt? The, the answer is found simply here. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And the question I have for myself today is, how much do I love God? How much do I truly love God and how much do I love the world? I remember when I was born and raised into a Christian family, I became a Christian at the age of 13. 39 now, so that's 26 years of uh, the Christian life being a part of me. But it was in those initial years that I truly loved God. I remember uh, my mom would say, Matt, it's time for dinner. I was the oldest of three boys. And I had my room and I had my own closet and I called it, if you've watched the recent movie War Room. I had my own war room. I had a closet where I would go into and pray and read my Bible. I would read books at a time. My mom would call me for dinner and I'd say something spiritual, over-spiritual. I would say, "God, Mom, don't worry. I have my own food. <laughs> what, what, did you buy some food? Did you go to Subway? No, Mom, I have God's Word. That's the, that's the only food I need. And at that time, it was. I was hungry for just the Word of God. I loved God so much that all I thought about was Him. When I woke up in the morning to the moment I went to bed, all I thought about was God. I thought about how I can share the good news of Jesus Christ with my my classmates. I thought about how I could love people because the more we love God, we naturally love others. The more we love God, the more naturally we love the people around us. The more we love God, people don't become a burden anymore. They become someone to embrace and love. And as we look at this passage, Jesus goes back to the the familiar text in Deuteronomy 6, and it says, And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, Soul, mind, and strength. It starts with the heart. Would you put your hand over your heart 
It starts with the heart. How much do you love God with all your heart? How much do you love God with all your soul? I don't have a physical description of soul, but we have souls. How much do we love God? Point to your head with your mind. The things that you read, the things that you see, the things that you observe, the things that you focus on and meditate about and think about. And all your strength, my energy, the things that I use my body for. I wonder how many of us, if we're honest, as, as we look at those four descriptors, can we truly say, I love God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. I wish I had those moments when I was 13. As life has picked up so much for so many of us, as life goes faster and faster, my dad used to say to me, Matt, when you're 10 years old, life goes by 10 miles per hour. When you're 30 years old, life goes by 30 miles per hour. When you're 70 years old, life goes by 70 miles per hour. I wish I could slow down. I wish I could slow down life, but we can't. None of us can. And yet God reminds all of us, whether we've been a Christian for 26 years or 46 years or six months, God is reminding us that the greatest thing that we can offer this world is the love of God. He continues, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. That's really hard to do, isn't it? I remember when I was a pastor in Colorado before I came to teach at the seminary. Even as a pastor, pastors are, of course, imperfect people. I remember there were certain people who would come to church and I would secretly have these imaginary conversations in my head. And I would think to myself, would you please, would you please just go check out the street, the church down the street? That would make my life so much better. Why are you bugging me every single Sunday with the same petty problems? These are the things that I would think in my head. How Christian of me. How pastoral of me. But it's hard, isn't it? Sometimes it's really hard to love other people. People bother us. They eat the wrong way. They smell the wrong way. They wear the wrong kinds of clothes. They say insensitive things to us. They cut us off in the road. They take our positions. They belittle us. They make us angry. The list goes on and on. I can come up with thousands of ways not to love people. But Jesus says, the greatest thing is to love God. The second greatest thing is to love my neighbor. I don't think Jesus was stumped here, do you? Out of all the 613 commandments, Jesus knew them all by heart. And he boils them down to two things. To love God. To love the person seated next to you. There are two college physics students who are trying to outsmart their professor. And so they wanted to go to this party 50 miles down the road, but they had a physics exam the next morning. So they thought to themselves, how can we come up with an excuse so that we don't have to take the test tomorrow, but we can actually go to the party and have fun? So they thought to themselves, well, let's, let's, tell, them, let's tell the professor we had a flat tire and we couldn't come to the exam. So can you postpone the exam for us to the next day? So they go to the party, they have fun, they go to the, the test or professor and they say, 
professor, we can't take the test. Um, we had a flat tire. And so he says, no problem. Uh, you can t- take the test tomorrow. It'll be waiting for you in the, in the study area where you take your exam. The only condition is this. The first question will be worth 10%, and this, the second question will be worth 90%. There will only be two questions on the exam. And they said, sure, that's fine, no problem. So the first question was, who created the theory of relativity? Oh, they thought, is this a college exam or, a, or an elementary school exam? They wrote, Albert Einstein. Yes. The second question was, which tire was flat? Sometimes we think we can outsmart Jesus. And that's what the scribes tried to do. They tried to outsmart him. They thought they were smarter than Jesus, but Jesus wasn't going to be stumped by their minuscule question. This was nothing for Jesus. And sometimes we think we can outsmart Jesus. But he says, no. My beloved, my, my child, come back, come back to me. You can come up with 613 reasons why not to believe in him and why not to put your faith in him and why not to live for him. But he says, come back to these two things. Do you love me? Do you love people? So he says, you are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is the one and there is no one besides him. And to love him with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength and understanding and to love your neighbor as oneself is much more than whole burnt offerings and sacrifice sacrifices, which is an allusion to uh, 1 Samuel 15, uh, Saul's disobedience in, in thinking that he could sacrifice him and come up with a, a, a way to uh, save God or save his uh, standing before God. And in verse 34, And when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one asked him any more questions. They were satisfied with Jesus. They, they said, okay, Jesus, we get you. We'll, we'll try to do what, as you say. He continues, uh, and as Jesus taught in the temple, he said, how can the scribes say that the Christ is the Son of God? David himself in the, te- in the Holy Spirit declared, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. David himself calls him Lord, so how is he his son? Again, they're trying to figure out who is this Jesus? Why is David referring to him? And of course, it's because he is David's lineage. He is the Christ, the Son of God. And the great assembly heard him gladly. Jesus is more, obviously more than a great teacher. Jesus is the Lord of life. It comes back to, it's an extension of that first passage, the first part. Jesus is reminding them of his true identity. He's not just a mere teacher. He is the Lord of our lives. And in his teaching, verse 38, he said, Beware of the scribes. And now he's calling them out. Do you see this? Do you see the contrast here? Beware of these people who are asking me all these questions. Beware of them who like to walk around in long robes and like to be greeted in the marketplaces. They want to be noticed. They want people to say, Hey, look at those scribes. Aren't they great? And they have the best seats in the synagogues and places of honor at feasts. But yet, what do they do? What do they do in their lives with that responsibility, with that position of being a scribe? It says in verse 40, they devour 
widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. You remember Jesus' teaching in Matthew 6 about prayer. He's again reminding them of the ways that they are not to pray. For they will receive the greater condemnation. I wonder sometimes how the Christian life has become such about celebrity status that we've forgotten the two greatest commandments, to love him and to love people. I used to read Christianity Today all the time to hear about what was happening in the Christian world from the Christian perspective. But sadly, these days, I don't like to read Christianity Today because most of the time it's talking about how pastors of large churches have failed America. One more pastor who's committed adultery. One more pastor who's fallen into greed. One more pastor who has fallen into plagiarism. One more pastor who has fallen into some kind of immorality. And the problem with the American church today, sadly, is that we have become all about celebrities and nothing about the Savior. We become all about who has the greatest church, who has the greatest influence, who is the most influential leader, who has the greatest name, and we've forgotten about who is the greatest Savior. So Jesus again reminds the scribes, you think you're great, you have all this together, you wear the long robes, you want everyone to notice you, but inside you're dying and you're wretched and you're going to face condemnation. Jesus has a different message as he closes this section. And it comes to this widow who has no influence in society. She has nothing to offer the world. If she came into this church, you wouldn't notice her. But Jesus elevates her, and he shows us that the Christian life is to be more like her, not the religious leaders, not the people who we think should have it Altogether. And so when we get to verse 41, and he sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums, and a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. And he called his disciples over to him, and he said, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put more in than all those who are contributing to the offering box. For they are contributing out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. The temple court was an opportunity from the outside. You could put in your offering. And the offering was not like today where you can do online offering. You can bring a check. You can bring some cash if you want. They actually had physical coins. And they had these horn-looking Uh, things that you would actually drop money into and it would make a lot of noise as it went down. At the end, it went... So you would imagine putting in... One family would bring in their offering and the men and women would be able to bring their offerings into the temple area and they would drop in their coins and drop in their coins and if you had a lot of money, you would stand there for a very long time. You would reach into your pocket, bring in more coins, more coins, and all the noise would go down. At the end, it would make a big crash. You had many opportunities. They were all around the temple. People would go around and just put their coins and put their coins in. If that one filled up and you had a lot of money, you go to the next one. You put your, your coins and coins and coins in. And Jesus says, 
hey, disciples, come here. Have you been watching? Yes, Jesus. How much did Mr. Smith put in? Lots of money. How do you know? He was there for a very long time. Okay. Did you see the widow? How much did she put in? I don't know, Jesus. I couldn't really hear. The coins were so small. I couldn't, I couldn't really hear what went into the offering box. Well, Jesus says, that woman, that insignificant woman who doesn't even have a name in this passage, she gave more than all these others. Jesus, I thought you passed math. You know math, adding, addition, don't you know how to do that? Didn't you hear her coins and didn't you hear their coins? Jesus, you got it all wrong. And he says, dear brothers, you got it wrong. You think that life is about the scribes and how majestic they are and how their robes are flowing and how much money you put into the offering and all the outward appearances. You care about that, but inside you have no idea how much this widow loves me and how much she trusts me and how much she's willing to give everything for me. This widow has given more than all these other people combined because she's given me her entire life. Dear Grace Point, Have you given Jesus your entire life? Does he have sole possession of your entire heart, your entire mind, your entire soul, all of your strength? The reason why the the world is decaying is because we need to become more like this light, the chandelier. We need to become like the light. Not you, Me included. We. We are called by God to live differently. We're called to be people who shine the light brightly for Jesus. We're called to be beacons of light. And that only happens when we love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. When we love each other as our own bodies, as our own selves. That is the kind of Christian life that this passage is reminding us to live up. Matt, you came here 40 minutes away to tell me that? I already knew that. That was Sunday school. I, 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 you, I heard about that 45 years ago. 20 years ago. Christian news. The good news doesn't change. That same message was appropriate to the disciples as it is today, as it will be if the Lord hasn't come back in 200 years, the same message will be true. To love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. To love my neighbor as myself. To treat others as I would like to be treated. To give them the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. These are the the core elements of the Christian life that we cannot discard. We don't have more catchy ways, better programs, Things that will bring people in just because they're catchy or sexy or however you want to, whatever adjective you want to use. The Christian life boils down to loving God, loving our neighbor. That's it. How well do we do those things? Verse 44, For they all contributed out of their abundance, 
But she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. In November, I got a phone call that wrecked my life forever. I've had different tragedies in life, smaller tragedies, but nothing like this. Um, It was the day after my wife's birthday, uh, November 7th, and I had missed 20 missed calls from my youngest brother. It was Sunday morning. I thought, what's the problem? Uh, So I called my brother, my youngest brother, who lives out in Sacramento. He said, he texted me, probably five or six times. He said, doesn't matter what time you call, just call me. So I called him. And he says, Tim died. Our middle brother. No, are you kidding? No, this is not possible. He, he lived in the Philippines. He lived there for three years. He was in Asia for ten years. I had hardly seen him. He was a business person, worked in marketing. No, there's no way he died. Dennis, you got it wrong. There was some mistake. He said, no, Matt, Matt, listen to me. Matt, listen to me. He's gone. So he says, Matt, can you call mom and dad? Let them know. So I have to call my parents and tell them that their middle son has passed away. And then we go out to the Philippines. And we were told that it was an accident, but it was cold blood murder. After we were there collecting all the evidence that they didn't collect, we collected all the evidence. It was murder. Premeditated murder. They, they killed him for his money. He was doing very well there. Very f- successful financially. Gone. My brother had lived a life of utter generosity to other people. If I were to sum up his life, he was the good Samaritan. He was the person that on the outside you would think, uh, maybe not. But on the inside, he was a person who loved God with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength. And he loved his neighbor more than anything. And so as we listened, as we sat in his office, hearing all his co-workers tell us about the ways that Tim had given his life for them, the ways that he would give them money for, for a hotel, for an entire family to stay for an entire week because they lost power because of the, the hurricanes. The ways that he would feed the entire company out of his own pocket. The ways that he would sacrifice for other people. I heard countless stories of the ways that he had given his life, all he had to live on to the Lord because he knew that his life was not his own. He knew that his life was about caring for God and caring for others. He lived a life that was sacrificial. And pleasing, I believe, to God. We've fought for justice, and there is no earthly justice. The corruption is so bad that we tried two different private investigators, and the the equivalent of the FBI has failed us. They closed the case, calling it an accident, without even trying. So on this earth, we get no earthly justice. But we have one life to live. My brother was 36 years old. He just turned 36. He just celebrated his 36th birthday. We only have one life to live, dear church. You only have one life. 
You have one life. You have one opportunity to make a difference in this world. You have one opportunity to tell someone about Jesus Christ. You have one opportunity to love God and to love your neighbor. You have one opportunity. And so do I. The question is, what do we do with this life that we've been given? What do we do with this life that you and I have been entrusted with? We are stewards of this life. We are recipients of God's grace. What do we do with it? How do we show other people that this life matters? The Christian life is about putting our entire life in the offering. Will you do that? Will you put your entire life in the offering? Will you give your entire being into the offering plate as a symbol, recognizing that that is my call, that is my joy, that is my life that he's called me to, to put my entire life, not calculating, this is 10%, that's 20%, that's 60%. No, he says, I want it all. I want your entire life. I don't want you to calculate. I don't want you to think about, is this enough or is that too little? He says, I want it all. And just like this widow who was so antithetical to the scribes. She was the exact opposite of the scribes. Jesus elevates her and says, be like this widow who didn't calculate whether or not she would have enough food that day. She just put her entire offering into the plate. I hate telling the story about my brother because sometimes that's the only thing people remember in the message. May that not be so today. May you remember this truth that God loves you so much. He loves you so much. He loves you so much. God loves you so much. And as many imperfections as I have, God says, I love you. I love you. I love you. I created you exactly how I wanted you to be. And because I love you, and because you've experienced that love, will you love others? Will you allow yourself to be a vessel for change? Will you allow yourself to be a transformer in this world, to love people one by one? Will you transform the world for Jesus as he has transformed your life? So I go back to that original question. How much do you love God? How much do I love God? If we love God, we will place our entire life into the offering. Let's pray. Father, I confess that in my life there are days where I am utterly in love with you and days where I utterly hate you. And there's so much pain in our lives, God. There's so much injustice happening around us. There's so much that we can blame you for. There's so many times where we think, why is God not intervening? Why is God allowing this to happen? Why is God allowing this suffering? Why is God? And our questions often begin, why are you God? Why God? Why God? And we have so much pain, God. We cry out to you this morning because there's no one else we can turn to. 
We cry out to you this morning, God, because there's no one else who loves us like you do. People fail us. Institutions fail us. But you never fail us, God, because you are faithful. So if anything, God, from this message, I pray that each one here, your beloved children, would be reminded of this truth, of your great love, your great faithfulness, that you are the God who never, never disappoints, even though we are disappointed. And you love each one with an everlasting love that's incomparable, that's glorious, that's impossible to believe. So I thank you, God, for Grace Point Church. I thank you for each of my brothers and sisters here in this room with whom I will share the rest of eternity with you. I pray, God, that you would encourage them in their hopelessness, that you would encourage them in their struggles, that you would redirect their focus on Christ. And in the midst of these these hardships and the hard times of our lives, I pray that you would remind them of this truth, that the Christian life is not about what you didn't do for me, You've already done everything for me. That you would remind them that to to love God and to love my neighbor is the greatest thing that I can do. And it's all that this life is about. So I thank you, God, for this reminder today. I pray that you would impress upon my dear brothers and sisters' hearts the, the urgency of this truth, that we only have one life to live. And I pray, God, that you would help us to live it out the best we can so that one day we would hear those great words, well done, good and faithful servant. We glorify you today, God. We magnify you, Christ, because we love you, because you first loved us. In Jesus' name, amen.